Welcome to We Got Balls, real, raw, masculine sex talk with Chris Inman and Scott Cohn. Chris and Scott both work with men who want to leave their unwanted sexual struggles in the past. They are willing to do whatever it takes to help men get curious about what drives their compulsive sexual behavior. With that said, here we go. Hey guys, uh, welcome back for another episode of We Got Balls, and today we are going to be talking about the male body. And Scott, we were just looking at some pictures that uh, you had pulled from history, some historical data about how guys used to see themselves and see their bodies. And uh, just to tell a story that uh, is from, from my past, I grew up going to church camps, and one of the uh, church camps that we went to had a community shower in the middle of the hallway, and my best friend who was a man who really prided himself on the way that he looked. Uh, he worked out religiously and took supplements, and he just was very proud of himself. Whenever he would go to the shower at church camp, he didn't carry a single piece of clothing with him. He had a tower th towel thrown over his shoulder, and he walked his butt down the hall. And if you didn't like it, then you didn't look. He was loud, proud, and swinging what his mama gave him. Exactly. And he would look you straight in the eye and just keep on going. And he'd go take his shower towel off. And when he walked back, he put the towel back over his shoulder and walked back to the room. So that's my friend, Keith. I won't call him out by last name, but Keith was always a man who never struggled with male body shame. But I think when we're talking about this topic now in the 21st century, there's a lot of men who see their bodies as not good and want to uh, shame it and um, hide it and also are definitely not comfortable around uh other people when they don't have their clothes on so uh, let's talk about that today when when we when you hear this topic i'm sure there's a lot that comes up for you what is it oh my gosh this is this is a topic of almost daily discussion with a lot of the men that i coach um it's something that i have experienced you know and and i just think it's so common and it goes back to i really think there has been a sea change in the culture starting in the sixties, you know, where the sexual revolution started. And then you get kind of the, the Stonewall riot in the seventies where homosexuality comes to kind of the front in society. And, you know, then you have, and we've talked about this in the penis and boner episodes, you have, you know, this strange occurrence that, starts taking place in the 90s where prior to 19 you know the mid 1990s um there was a lot of male communal nudity in this country always had been so guys in the military still do that they're and they may be even sharing with females at this point i don't know but but i have a, a buddy that i just met um at the samson society annual retreat and he was telling me man when you're in the military you just you got your belt on and you're completely naked and everybody's there and Nobody cares. And um, so the military is still like that. And schools really used to be that, like that. I grew up showering like your buddy Keith, starting in middle school. And it was communal. There were no privacy curtains. And you just went in and everybody saw what you had and you saw what they had. And in high school, we had a pool and it had seven shower heads around it. And we just showered right there in front of other guys. So... Mm -hmm. You know, that was my experience, but, and so, you know, kind of that normalized experience of being in a male space, feeling free with your body. Everybody's got different 
body shapes. Everybody's penis is different size. Everybody's got different amounts of pubic hair and body hair. And so it just was a normal experience to kind of, you know, be in that environment, bonding with your friends after the football practice or football game. And nobody thought anything of it in 19, the mid 1990s, some kids somewhere got the ACLU to sue schools for forcing him to be naked in gym class after, after practice to shower. And that's when schools started to shut down that experience. And then at the same time, come around 2000, you have online pornography just, just exploding. And so guys who have been born in the mid eighties, and my sons were like this, they really didn't shower at school. They didn't have that normalized experience of mutual male, you know, connection, bonding, nudity in the locker room. And what they did have then is a completely sexualized experience by looking at pornography. And often, most of the time, there's men performing in those pornographic videos. And so you're seeing male nudity in a completely sexualized setting. So what does that do to us as a culture? You know, and, and I believe that when, um, when homosexuality kind of becomes normalized in a culture, as happened in the 70s on, then all forms of male affection and mutual nudity become stigmatized. It becomes something when, when sex becomes possible or likely between two men, then all that stuff starts to be seen as gay and shut down as gay. And those pictures we looked at, you know, we'll, we'll post them in the, um, the comments for the videos because they're public domain, but there's a picture of three guys in a shower with their arms around each other and they're completely buck naked and, it looks like it comes from a gay porno, but it's from the mm -hmm. Marines. Yeah. It, it's from the Marines in 1950. And then we showed a picture of, of four guys in a bathtub leaning up against each other naked and it's a hot tub. And that's from the 1930s. And, you know, you, you look back in history in the United States, guys skinny dip with their buddies in middle school and high school, college. And these things were, you know, in college, there's communal showers, blah, blah, blah. So, this whole experience has been kind of stamped out of existence for the fear of being gay. And what's it doing to people? What's it doing to guys in particular? And I think it it's, comes from a larger idea. And something you were saying just really sparked my memories uh, about this issue. And again, we're talking about a body image. We're talking about shame. We're talking about, but you were talking about sex, and, and one's view of what sex is. And I think it's really important in this conversation to get really clear about what, what is sexuality. Because I think in our culture, just what you were alluding to, sexuality is anything that has to do with nudity or anything that has to do with um, being with someone in a vulnerable place. And it's all kind of grayed out and blended together. And we've lost an element of sexuality that um, I think really needs to be highlighted, which is that there is such a thing as non-genitalic sexuality. There is a connection, and let's define sex for a second. Sex is about connection. It's really the ultimate form of human connection. And so when we connect, a lot of times we connect in ways that aren't with genitals. Um, you know, you can have a very intimate dinner with someone. You can uh, be in a wonderful ex uh, place, location, and experience uh, nature or one of the things I've been seeing recently is this picture of the sphere 
in Las Vegas, just this beautiful experience of, of technology, but it's so amazing. It's so intimate. It's so awe inspiring that what, what's been created, it's very intimate. It feels very, uh, very connective with people. And so when we're talking about that, that, that only, um, genitals and sex have to be tied together to define sexuality. I think that's where we're getting it with in our culture is that anytime I see someone's genitals, then that must mean that I need to be sexual. I must touch. Yeah. And, and even when physical touch is involved, that must be sexual, sure, right? Sure. Or let, let's take it a little further. Even when sexual arousal is experienced in the body, that must be sexual. Oh, so that's, I think we're getting even clearer in that, in the respect that, so anytime there is any sense of emotional, physical excitement, then there is an aspect of sexuality that's present. And I think what we need to do is back that up. And let's go back to the time in our culture, in our, in our lives, in our bodies, where, and I think we've both experienced this enough to be able to talk about it, where we were with other people and we were naked and we didn't feel shame. Do you have an experience like that, Scott? I do. And I also have experiences of that around shame. So that's, that's, that's the yeah. thing is how did this start in my life? And I've thought a lot about this. So um, the first experience I can actively recall would be around six or seven showering with my dad my brother and all my male cousins in the shower down in grandma's basement. We would go to the farm, we'd get out dirty playing in the barn and we'd come in and she'd shoo us all into the shower, all of us downstairs. And we're all showering together, you know, bumping each other's butts and whatever. And nobody thought that that was a sexual experience ever because it never was. And, um, and then interestingly, I have an experience in fourth grade where I remember my dad was a scout for his college football team, and we lived in um, Arvada, Colorado, and he took me to this, this town called Longmont, which is an Italian kind of little village close to Arvada, and it was a place where a lot of Italian immigrants came in the, in the mining days. And so we watched this high school football game. My dad takes me in the locker room after the game because he's scouting players for, for his university. And I was overwhelmed by the sight of all these teenage men. You know, they, they had male, adult male bodies, big penises, hairy bodies. And it was overwhelming for me as a little fourth grader hadn't entered puberty yet. And I was like, holy shit, you know, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. like, I'm aroused by this, not sexually aroused, but it's an arousing sight to see all of this male bonding and nudity happening together. And my dad caught me staring and he came up to me and he took my head and he turned it to the wall. What do you think I felt in my body? Shame. I shame, felt an immediate shame. drop of, oh, there's something bad with me for finding this to be exciting. And I don't think he meant to harm me in that case. I think he realized, oh, this is an overwhelming sight for a little guy. And that's probably not fair for him. But his silence is what really intensified the experience of shame around that event because he didn't bend down and whisper in my ear and say, hey, dude, I know this is really amazing to see all these naked guys, but 
I don't want you to get overwhelmed by this, so I'm just going to turn your head to there, there wasn't any explanation for why he did what he did. And so as all children, I turned the explanation on myself because I felt that sinking into shame. And I immediately said, something's wrong with me for finding this arousing. So uh, how many of us have experiences like that where there's both this excitatory, you know, inhibited, just delight in a situation and boom, we get shut down because of a parent's containment that becomes, that comes across as really abrupt, maybe harsh. There's no, there's no explanation for it. And maybe the intention is good, but it ends up leaving us kind of in a, a lingering state of shame that over the long run becomes hardwired into a trait. And I think that's what so much of body shame and shame around nudity and the, the link to sexuality gets really wired together in these instances where, uh, we have these really harmful experiences and nobody is engaging with us in them. Yeah. And I think that that key point there is is interesting, that silence piece, because I don't have any stories about showering with my dad or even being in a in a, a physically vulnerable place with them. I think I may have one memory back when I was a kid of walking in my parents' bedroom and my dad had come out of the shower and he didn't have any clothes on. And that's kind of, you know, my experience around male nudity in my home. And really all my other experiences around this come in environments like you were talking about is I would go to the locker room at school playing football, or I would go on a trip where there would be a communal shower. We would all take showers together as guys. And for me, um, that, that really, the only thing that I was looking at, ironically, I wasn't even looking at anybody's genitals. I was looking at people's muscles. I wanted to be more muscular. I was a skinny kid. I was a, I was a short kid when I was younger and really didn't have that physique, that, that prototypical masculine physique, like my, like my friend Keith did. One of the reasons that Keith was so proud to walk to the shower naked is he'd done the work and he was, he was cut. I mean, he had the six pack, he had the pecs, he had the quads, he, he was ripped. Um, and so here I am, I'm not fat, and again, that's a whole nother issue of body shame that we can go on to with people who struggle with their weight, uh, for sure. Uh, but I'm skinny. I, I don't have very uh, much muscle. You know, for me, gratefully, I'm I'm not struggling. Um, I'm just an average guy uh, with my penis size. So I wasn't really looking at that. I just kind of fit in with everybody else. But the reality was I was looking for to compare myself to other guys because I wanted to be with them. I wanted to be accepted by them. So I wanted to fit in. I didn't want to stand out as being odd or, or weird or um, being physically different. So that was where my experience uh, with my body uh, was when I was a boy and a teenager. Well, that that's developmentally normal, Chris. I mean, when you, oh, yeah. when you're, when your body's changing from that of a little boy into a man's body, the first question is, am I normal? Am I like, mm -hmm other men. And, you know, a lot of this gets delivered in the culture too, is what is culturally held up as an ideal of masculine um, form. And so much of this sure. is embodied, right? It's not just about how you act, but it's about what your body looks like. So right now what's held up in the culture is rippling six pack superhero body because the superhero genre of movies have really established that Chris Hemsworth right. is this specimen of masculinity, Chris Evans, you know, all these guys are held up as icons of male 
masculinity. And so boys that grow up are looking to that as a reference. They're looking to sports figures. And, you know, if your dad isn't modeling that for you, you don't have all that's occurring kind of then in this vacuum where the culture is going to fill that. And of course, Mm -hmm. pornography fills that as well, because you're looking at guys that are ripped, muscular, they have large penises, they either are really hairy or they're really smooth. And so it becomes that ideal of, oh, this is what a man's body looks like. And I can tell you numerous stories of guys who I work with who they didn't have that modeled for them by their dad. Like this is what masculine body type is Mm. Um, with all its flaws, flabby, skinny, short penis, big penis, whatever, hairy, smooth. They didn't see that in their relationship with their father and they didn't have that with other boys. So they're looking to the cultural signals and it's really establishing a lot of insecurity in young men. That's why young men now have way more eating disorders and body dysmorphic problems than they ever had in the past because of this. You know, it used to be women that only suffered with that. Now it's young men because they're trying to maintain this standard that the culture is holding up as this is what a man is supposed to look like. So let's let's let's, let's stop for that because I think that's a really important point is that when we don't have the natural exposure to male physique, to male bodies, just, you know, whether it's completely nude or maybe it's just playing football with your shirts off or whatever it is that you compare yourself man to man. And you see the variety of different types of bodies and realizing that my body, I mean, you know, going back to the Keith and me analogy, comparing my body to Keith would have been totally unfair. I mean, this dude had, I think he probably had some Greco Roman, you know, like (laughs) yeah, that, that classic, uh, you know, David type cultivated because his dad was olive skin and he, he really did, have a lot of uh natural ability i've never been able to, to have pecs i just it just doesn't happen i worked out I, i've tried for a, a, you know to, to have muscles up there a lot and it just doesn't doesn't work for me i've got great legs though i mean if you look at you know i, I don't try it hard but i've got great calves i've got great quads uh, you know the, that part of my body develops well and so that makes me different than other people and i know people with you know, that are heavier. I, I played football against a guy one time that was uh, a friend of my cousin's up in Tennessee. We played tackle football and we, it was a hot day. Everybody had their shirts off. We're just going at it. This dude was literally a living expression of the marshmallow man. He had so much fat, but dude, he could run over everybody. Like his body <laughs> weight itself. He was like the, the massive running, but you could not grab anything to tackle him. And so you could make fun of him all day long if you wanted to. But when it came to playing football, that man was a beast. Yeah. And yeah. so it was, it was an, it's amazing. Cause you see that and you go just the looks themselves can be shaming. But when you see the benefit and obviously gratefully he's lost a lot of weight and he's healthier than he was at that time, but everybody has their unique giftedness and their unique body for a reason. And so to shame that and to other that really takes away from who I am and what makes me unique, me uniquely me. Yeah. And I, I, I think we kind of, very much denigrate and underestimate the role that fathers play in in helping their sons kind of feel like they embrace embodied masculinity. Like so much of masculinity is embodied. Do I feel like I'm a real man in my body? Do I feel like that powerful individual? Well, masculinity can only be given by another man. It can't be found from the outside a masculine environment. 
It can't, it definitely can't be given by a woman because they're not masculine. So they don't have any masculinity to give. It's a baton that's passed on typically by an older man to a younger man. It doesn't have to be a father. It could be a coach. It could be a mentor. It could be some kind of other attachment figure, but it's got to be an older man that you look up to in a sense, right? They have to embody in their masculinity a lot of traits that you admire, that you want to be like, that you aspire. And that's what drives kind of the formation of masculinity in a man's life is, does he have that modeled for him? And unfortunately, dads have been fairly absent in a young man's life for at least 50 years, I think, you know, and it really started after men came back from World War II, the college uh, grant program, you know, that sent guys off to college. And the society changed from being very agrarian to, to more kind of moving into urbanization and industrialization and business oriented. And so dads went away and they weren't apprenticing their sons like they used to. Because think about it, before World War II, so much of the society was agrarian. We raised, we, we grew up on farms. Dads worked with their sons. They, they basically trained them to take over the family business. And well, Scott, it was a communal society where we had men all around us rather than an individualistic society where we have to go seek out places to be surrounded by. That's men. right. And so the culture has changed in that regard. Then we think the nuclear family is the family template. It's not. No. The nuclear family is an invention after World War II in the United States. And yes. there are there are pluses and minuses. Of that. And one of the big minuses is men, as they're growing up, as boys are growing up, they don't have masculinity modeled as well for them in their, in their local environment. And so they look to the culture for the signals. So, you know, I think this started back in the 60s and 70s. I think about, you know, when I think about masculine ideals, I think about a guy that's muscular, but he's got to be hairy. So I've spent a lot of time thinking about where did that come from? And I, I do think that this, that story that I told where I felt shame about being amazed by hairy guys has a lot to do with how, why that's really established as a masculine ideal in my life. But I also remember stories about like growing up, I would be sitting at the breakfast table eating my toast and I'd pick the crust off of it. And my dad would come in and go, eat that, that'll put hair on your chest. So my dad's constantly reinforcing, oh, a real man has hair on his chest. The biggest movie star when I was growing up and, and started to go to movies was Robert Redford. And I remember seeing Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, and I remember the sting, and I remember Jeremiah Johnson. I must have seen Jeremiah Johnson 30 times. We loved that movie. And Robert Redford is a hairy dude. And so my icon for what a masculine man is like was established by that move, those movies and by my dad continually reinforcing that and then by that experience of shame. And so, you know, it's just interesting to be open and curious about how did this come about in my life? And so, so Scott, Scott, let me put a pause there. Just keep that thought in your mind. I've just had this realization. When did the shaving waxing epidemic in both sexes really take off. It's been in the last 30 years. It's almost like an anthropomorphization of we're, we're neither male nor female. We're gender neutral. And so nobody has 
hair started with women removing all their hair, of course. And that was the rage back in the, in the eighties, eighties, nineties, and early two thousands. And now it's guys, it's manscaping, right? Because to oh. take hair off means that you're more, uh, I don't even know what the word is suave or sexy or attractive. Um, and yet what we've lost is the differentiation of, Hey, some men are hairy and that's a good thing. Yeah. Oh, we could, we could talk about this quite <laughs> like I have, I have a lot of younger, fr- like my sons are this in this uh, 20 to 30 year age range. I have a lot of close friends that are in that age range and those guys take it all off, all of it. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. why do you want to do that? That's glorious. Yeah. Stop doing that. Yeah. And, but that is their ideal that a, a real man isn't hairy. That's, that's gross. And it's uh, disgusting. And so it, it's just really interesting how those cultural norms form Romans and the Greeks were like that too. They, they took all the body hair off because that was seen as the masculine ideal and these things come and go and change based on cultural whims. But if you want to know really what's driving your kind of your template for what a man's supposed to be like, or what a woman's supposed to be like, you have to be curious about thinking about what are the messages that I've just kind of glommed into mm-hmm. this is what culture does this is the statement i like to make culture is like water for fish if you go up to fish and go how's the water today they go what's water you know yeah culture is like that we don't understand how culture, culture is what's it. normal it's yeah. culture is what's normal yeah so so what are the what are the areas where guys feel a lot of body shame this is what i hear continually height i'm mm-hmm. either too short or i'm too tall Right. Penis size, hundred percent. Definitely penis size. I'm either, it's usually I'm not long enough or I'm, I'm not big enough, but also guys can feel like they're too big or their, their long penis or big penis is a source of harm for them. Or Um, shape, penis shape shape as well. Shape of penis, right? I'm curved too much. I used to get called a chode as an insult. If you don't know what a chode is, it's a short chubby penis, you know? So yeah. So there's, there's bend, there's circumcised and uncircumcised. That's true. Now this is changing in the culture too. About 70% of men have been circumcised in the United States. We're the only country outside of Israel that has that higher percentage of circumcision. And it's really not necessary um, from medical standpoint, you know, but people have a lot of big issues around this. And one of the guys um, that I've worked with his circumcision was really messed up. And he comes to his, so this is a really heartrending story. He comes to his dad as a little boy. His dad was uncircumcised. And he said to his dad, um, how come my penis doesn't look like yours? And his dad said, well, the doctor messed it up, but we, we should have got that fixed, but we didn't really bother to do this. Yeah. So, you know, it's not a big deal. Well, he didn't really engage his son in where his son was hurt. And this guy, when he was 11, to reverse his harm, went and stood naked in front of his picture window to show the world, here I am. And the police come and arrest him. And his mom and dad come and pick him up. But here's where the real harm of the story is. There was complete silence about what he had done. And all he was looking to do is feel good about his body. And, and, it's, it's really driven his life as an adult man to have so much shame around his penis because he's not circumcised or uncircumcised the way he should be. And 
you know, I've heard stories either way on this guys, you know, get circumcised and they feel ashamed of it because of these reasons. Or, um, I know a guy who was the only member of his family out of six males to be uncircumcised. And he felt completely ostracized in the locker room and afraid of showing his penis because of that. So there's, there's no winning on the penis thing. You're no. going to be made fun of for something somewhere. And unless you own it as yours. Unless every, everyone is different. So this is how, this is the role that dads play in a son's life is that's, that is an awesome penis. God made you that way. Be proud of it, son. It's awesome. All right. Daddy Scott, thank you for that. I appreciate that. Yeah. Just take that blessing guys and, and realize that that's, that's what you need in that arena. But there's other areas of shame as well. I mean, there's, there's body shape and fitness. There's, you know, I know some guys who are really ashamed about being skinny and thin and they feel like I can't put any weight on. I can't build any muscle. I'm not enough of a man because I can't build enough muscle. There's guys who are on the other side that I can't keep the weight off. Everything I eat goes straight, straight to my belly and I have no muscles anywhere else. Yep. And so all these areas are sources where we can feel a lot of shame about our bodies. And so what do we do about that? When you're struggling with body shame, you know, it's going to show up in your arousal template in some ways because you're trying to deal with that sense of, I don't feel good enough in the body that I have. And so the tendency could be to fantasize about, you know, guys that have the perfect body, or it could be fantasize about women who are into fat guys or whatever. We don't, you're, you're going to look to, to take that harm and try to reverse it in some way. So how do you get out of that? You've got to start to honor and bless the body that you have. And there's always a gift that we don't see in our bodies and in our hearts and in our minds that we're looking to shame and put down that someone else, another man can welcome and bless. And so I would even back it up even more than that, Scott, and say that the, what we really need to do to take care of our shame is to surround ourselves with people who can see us more compassionately and kindly than we see ourselves. We need a safe group of, of guys. Tot totally agree. Again, back to the point about masculinity. Masculinity is formed from other men in community. It's when other men look at you and say, man, you're, you're awesome at this. You're really good at this. This looks great. You, you know, and, and so I think it's important to honor the things that God says about us and our bodies. You know, you're fearfully and wonderfully made who made your mouth, who made your penis, who made you hairy or smooth. I think it's also important to receive that affirmation and that kindness and that sense of belonging from other men. But here's the thing. If you don't do the work of blessing yourself, none of those other affirmations are going to penetrate your shield yeah. because you've got so, this shield up that says, I'm not good enough. Well, and, and I would say yes. And partnered with that is surrounding yourself with people who can bless you because those two things go together. I cannot bless myself unless I can receive the blessings of others. I can't yep. just muscle up and man up because that's where anorexia comes in or that's where, you know, uh, uh, steroids comes in, or that's where penis enhancement comes in. Cause I feel like I've got to take care of this. No, you don't. You got to be willing to receive the goodness that you can't see at the moment so that you can accept the reality of how you are made good. So can I close with the story too? Cause I have Do a, it. all right. 
So uh, last year at about this time is a little is in January, my best friend and I were working out at the gym and we were talking about some of the struggles that I'd had. And, you know, he said, you just want to be seen and affirmed, don't you? And I'm like, yeah, I do. And he said, how can I help you? And I, so I took a risk mm-hmm. and, and I'd actually been praying about this. I said, honestly, could you get naked in the locker room with me? Because previous to that, when we'd go in the locker room, he'd have a towel on and he'd pull his shorts off and then we'd go shower and he'd put his towel back on and pull his shorts on. And that's what a lot of young guys do. And it was making me feel like, is he embarrassed to be seen around me? Am I making him uncomfortable? What's going on? And so he, uh, he said, oh, okay. And we went down to the locker room and we went to get in the showers or we we're going to just sit in the sauna and he just pulled it all off for the first time. Mm-hmm. And I felt so loved and cared for. Mm. And I told him after we were leaving, I said, thank you for hearing my need, you know, to kind of have that male bonding and not have the, the walls up, so to speak. I felt really loved. He goes, of course. And then, you know, we've done it with him and another buddy since then multiple times. And it was just such a uh, freeing, just sense of belonging and uh, camaraderie. And so these can be really healthy experiences. You want to be safe in it. You want to make sure you're with safe people, but and in a yeah. safe environment. But yeah, it's it's something that's really been a big uh, source of blessing in my life as well. Exactly. And that's what I would call um, emotional sexuality. I'm intimate with someone else. I'm seen and known and understood with them, but it's not about touching genitals. It's not about having orgasms. It's about being heart to heart connected. Yeah. There is a sexuality that exists. And even with us as friends, I, I love you as a brother and we are friends together. And there's a sexuality to that, that I think is really important to recognize that it's totally different than the sexuality that a lot of people like to use to objectify. This is not about objectifying. This is about being with and being connected in a, in the truest version of our full selves. So I'm glad we both have those experiences and have those experiences to look forward to and hope you guys uh, will be willing to explore that as well. If we can help, um, process some of the pain that you have around your body, shame, reach out to us. We'd love to connect with you and continue to, to work through the stories of your life that you're wrestling with so that you can find that intimacy, that connection, that sexuality that makes you come alive and makes you feel whole. So Scott, as we close it off. So guys, <laughs> thanks for being with us here on We Got Balls. Why do you say we got balls? We we got balls. We got balls. And so do you. Take care, guys. Bye, guys. Don't forget to subscribe for more episodes. You can connect with Chris at PornFreeMasculinity.com and with Scott at SuccessfulMen.com.